about to hear my conversation with our equity CIO, Leslie Marks. We talk all about the strength of the U.S. dollar and why currencies matter to Canadian investors. We also talk about the recent earnings season and what to expect out of market cycles going forward. I hope you enjoy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Information relating to investment approaches or individual investments should not be construed as advice or endorsement. Listeners should seek professional advice for their situation. Welcome to the McKinsey Investments Podcast. My name is Matthew Schnur, and I'm delighted to be back with our CIO of Equities, Leslie Marks. Leslie, welcome back. Great to be here, Matt. What is often lost in uh, in stock market and bond volatility, which we've certainly experienced a lot uh, over the last month, is currencies. Uh, and currencies can have a big impact to Canadian investors. Uh, we have currently seen a broad support and strength out of the U.S. dollar. What's behind the strength of the USD and why does it matter for Canadian investors? Well, I'm really glad you're asking about currency because, I mean, we've just closed on the third consecutive quarter of negative returns for stocks and bonds. And I really feel that currency has been the big story of 2022. And Hmm. if you're looking for the one place where investors could make money this year, it was actually being long, the U.S. dollar. So FX has been one of the most important trades uh, this year. And... I'd almost say that FX and the volatility we've seen around currency in general has been so far to this cycle what credit was in the great financial crisis. Um, Currency has far-reaching impact, and Canadians are always focused on the Canadian dollar vis-a-vis the U.S. dollar because that's most often the place we travel and shop. And the Canadian dollar is down 7% year to date. So Canadians are really feeling the pinch of the strength in the U.S. dollar or the corollary to that, the weakness in the Canadian dollar. Some people think of the Canadian dollar as a petro currency that trades with the price of oil. But that's clearly no longer the case as oil prices are up 11% year to date and the Canadian dollar is down, as, as I mentioned. So the question for investors is, What else is at play here? And I think there are really two things. Um, The first thing is that the U.S. dollar is still a flight to safety currency and investors will gravitate towards the U.S. dollar when they are fearful, which is clearly the backdrop that we're experiencing today. So given the increased volatility and economic uncertainty, it's not a surprise to see that the U.S. dollar index is up but it's up 17% year to date. So that's creating a lot of dislocation across currency markets globally, not just for Canadians. Um, The second factor that's at play here is our central bank tightening uh, cycle appears to be taking a slightly different path. Um, Our inflation numbers have started to roll over uh, a little bit and people are starting to assume that the Bank of Canada is going to stop tightening sooner than the Federal Reserve. So if U.S. rates are higher, that's obviously going to put a bid under the U.S. dollar, and that would account for why um, the Canadian dollar is um, starting to weaken uh, or has been weakening, I should say, relative to the U.S. dollar, but it's really accelerated over the last month or so. So 
even though the Canadian dollar is important to us, the world is obviously more focused on other currencies right now. Sure. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, you, you referenced other currencies. Um, one that comes to mind, I, I guess there's a few that come to mind, but the pound particularly uh, has gone uh, fairly wild uh, change in valuations over the past couple of weeks. Uh, love your view on the pound and, and how to make sense of that. Yeah, so the British pound is also down, I think it's around 15% um, year to date versus the US dollar. And this was caused by some of the factors I talked about, about the flight to safety with, with the US dollar. But the most recent move really came because of the blowout in interest rates that came in response to the government sweeping tax cuts and, and incentives. And we saw last right. week the market react very violently, driving up interest rates and pummeling um, the pound. But this, um, I guess the latest development is that this forced a reversal and pressure on the finance minister. So just yesterday, the British government reacted by scrapping one of the um, tax cuts. And that had a very um, uh, material impact on both interest rates and, and the pound. So it's, it's important to think about um, what our expectations are for policy to try and have a view on currency. That's a great example, and, and your example of the U.S. dollar's strength as well. Um, you know, aside from uh, people going on vacation, which a lot more people are doing, and, and UK being more attractive than California right now based on currency, what does it mean for Canadian investors? Like, how how should you think about that in the context of a Canadian portfolio? Yeah, so so currency is really important in the context of earnings, and when there are big currency moves, companies usually lose some of their visibility in earnings. Often the currency exposures are unmatched, such as you know revenues in one currency and expenses in another. Now this works well if you're a company that has say revenues in US dollars, which has been the strong dominant currency, and your costs right. are say in Canadian dollars or Japanese yen or, or British pounds, um, the weaker currencies. But if you're subject to, like many manufacturing businesses, for example, um, purchasing commodities, they're all generally priced in U.S. dollars. And so you become very vulnerable um, as a manufacturer to uh, commodity prices and the impact on your earnings unless you've hedged out that risk. And often companies will partially hedge out the risk, but maybe not fully. So seeing right. extraordinary volatility like we're seeing today is something that um, companies are dealing with in, in real time. And, um, you know, as I said, you have to really look company by company on what the impact is of uh, currency to your business. Well, maybe we should turn to earnings in general. Um, since we've last had you on the podcast, which was about a month ago, uh, we heard from uh, uh, firms like FedEx, Nike, uh, downward guidance, really concerns on on earnings as a whole and inventories. Uh, how should investors uh, think about uh, the, the recent uh, earnings from the, those types of companies? And what is it going to mean for the holiday season? Mm -hmm. So I'm actually going to start with Nike. Um, because I want to bridge it to the currency questions Great. around earnings. And so there were a lot of issues in the Nike Q1 earnings reports, but I do want to highlight that one of the things they specifically said, and this is a multinational company, 
as many S&P 500 companies are, they cited specifically foreign exchange effects in their earnings report. So again, it comes back to the lack of predictability, the translation of earnings in weaker currency countries. I mean, if they only sold in, in the US and they manufactured offshore, they'd be in good shape. But they're a right. multinational company. So they also cited that um, their sales in China, for example, fell 16%. In that case, they were blaming China's uh, COVID zero policy for sure. uh, weak sales. They also um, are subject to what all retailers are subject to, which is having to order um, six to nine months in advance of the holiday season, for example, in order to sort of estimate what they thought demand would be. And um, I think companies have also sort of extended and overordered because of what they experienced with supply chain problems in COVID. And right. so they probably overordered and where they landed is in an inventory bloat situation. And I think they said that their inventories were had surged 65% in the first wow. quarter. Um, I was looking at the historical sales numbers for the company and pre-pandemic, this was a company where top line was growing in that sort of four to 8% range. And in 2021, so right in the heart of COVID, sales grew 19%. So it's kind of the perfect example of unsustainable growth and right. where we're seeing a post-pandemic unwind. You know, demand was excessive for a period of time. And now it's this um, swinging to the, to the other side, which is basically people have sort of um, started to adjust downward their spend because, you know, they've overbought on some of the items that they consumed heavily in the pandemic. Um, you mentioned um, uh, FedEx as well. Um, yes. FedEx also um, is very much a leading indicator of consumer demand. They withdrew their full year of guidance and announced significant cost-cutting measures, um, also saying that they are seeing a decline in global volumes as macro trends um, significantly worsened in during this most recent quarter. So that's a really important leading indicator. Um, and even they say they're really a reflection of everyone else's business. First thing that jumps to mind when we hear about earnings like that, uh, you know, maybe it's the the uh, silver lining of, of weak earnings from firms like Nike and, and FedEx and that guidance. But it, it strikes me that inflation should be uh, coming down in that case. I mean, if we have a glut of inventory uh, that would uh, indicate inflation probably has peaked or, or is in the process of coming down. Uh, am I reading too much into that or, or what's your view on on that as it uh, goes to inflation? So um, I think you asked about the holiday season, and I'm not sure I answered that question in the last question. So, yeah, it's, sure. But it's related, um, which is yeah. that um, when you hear stories of excess inventory, the next thing that comes from that, and Nike mentioned it, was significant discounting. So I think for the holiday season, right. if you think back to last year, when companies were basically saying, if there's you know hard to get items, you should be ordering those in September for your holiday season. Um, I just don't think that's going to be the case this year. Consumers will be able to afford to wait and they're going to be paid to wait and they're going to be able to get their goods probably at a discount because I think um, excessive inventories are going to be a factor across the retailing complex. And so that will help with inflation. Um, also, one of the factors that played into inflation was supply chain. Uh, many companies right. were citing supply chain issues. There was an article yesterday in the Wall Street Journal that was saying that um, the story talked about 
something like 40 scheduled sailings to the U.S. West Coast from Asia and 21 sailings to the East Coast from Asia had been scrapped over the um, to, uh, over the next two week period. And the thinking is that this is likely due to canceling of orders, again, due to weak demand, coming back to that inventory example with um, Nike. So again, when it comes to uh, inflation, um, I think that supply chain problems are going to show definitely easing now, and that will be um, positive for bringing inflation down. Um, with respect to uh, inflation, um, <clears throat> there are some good leading indicators that would give you the sense that inflation has peaked. And I think we can have right. take comfort in that. And we have high conviction on the peaking of inflation, certainly in uh, North America. Um, commodities are rolling over, again, weakening demand at the retail level, forcing discounting, waning consumer confidence. Um, housing is rolling over. So there's there's only really one factor right now which would still give us concern about inflation, and that's the labor market. Um, right. We haven't really seen a material rise in jobless claims, and we're still seeing in real time upward pressure as labor negotiations work their way through the system. But actually today, as it turns out, uh, we did see some encouraging news on one metric that the Fed is watching very closely, which is um, the available positions or job opening data. So the JOLTS data came today and the drop in available positions for the July data. So that's still kind of three months old now um, was to 10 million 10.1 million, sorry, from 11.2. So a pretty significant drop at a 10 percent decrease. And this is kind of the first indication of a moderation in labor demand. Um, the, the data uh, will be watched closely, uh, as I said, by the Fed. This number really impacts um, a statistic which compares the ratio of vacancies per unemployed. And um, this caused a decrease in, in vacancies per uh, unemployed. So, um, uh the next jobs data we'll see will be the September jobs report, and we'll see that later this week. And again, right. the Fed will be watching that closely uh, for an indication, as I said, of that, that what I would describe as the last piece of the puzzle um, for figuring out the path to inflation and the pace of decline in inflation. Great. It, it strikes me that the... Um Everything that was uh, once considered transitory or the, the per reasons behind transitory seem like they've cleared. You, we still have this uh, sticky labor market that's uh, showing, as you mentioned, some signs of, of cooling down. What's the probability that Powell, uh, given the hawkishness of his language, uh, given how uh, he's he's cautioning uh, the public that pain is coming uh, effectively, is going to unnecessarily cause or deepen a recession uh, that is going to be unnecessary, uh, that inflation would actually be under control and that he'll really just hammer the economy uh, with uh, increases in interest rates that perhaps are unwarranted? Well, I think that he, as many central bankers are, um, are very committed to their focus on bringing inflation down. And he has been explicit about a willingness to um, experience pain for the economy as a result. And so I think there is a high likelihood that we experience a recession in 
the next 12 months. But the question will really be how deep and for how long. What we've experienced through COVID and the COVID recovery is almost um, a shortening of economic cycles. And Mm -hmm. so, and, and that's really because of the extreme you know, for every action, there's a reaction. There's sort of a ripple effect to everything that's happened right from March of 2020 when we went through the extreme easy policy um, to what we would call now um, a movement towards very extreme tight monetary policy. And so I think that the the likelihood of recession is high, but um, what we don't have visibility on is how deep and how long and my my best guess today based on what i've seen in the cycle so far is that it will be uh fairly short as we work you know we have worked through many of the dislocations of covid and we'll continue to work through those and remember there was so much pent-up demand when people were stuck in their homes that they've been willing to spend beyond um you know normal pricing for meals and travel uh, over right. the last six months, just because they haven't had those experiences over the last two years, but that that will go away. Also, the novelty of all that will go away, given the high pricing that we're experiencing and the pinch on people's personal balance sheets from higher interest rates. I'm fascinated by this concept of sort of speeding up business cycles, um, and it it certainly has felt like that. Uh, even even before COVID, it feels like. Markets react very quickly to new information, maybe more quickly than they have in the past. Do you think that this is unique to COVID or is it unique to the time period that we are in, given technology, given how uh, people react to markets? Uh, is it something that you'd expect to be a feature of, of the markets going forward? Well, I actually think that the real feature here is the reminder of a business cycle and how a business cycle works. and. Right. We were very fortunate over the last decade, or really since the financial crisis, that because of globalization, because of um, technological advancement, we were able to experience productivity gains that helped keep inflation at bay, even at very low unemployment levels. And so um, what I think that caused was people to forget about what a normal business cycle looks like. And I would remind our listeners that what we're heading into now um, for for various reasons um, is probably much more of a normal business cycle environment where you experience an economic slowdown in response to central bank policy. You know, this acceptance that we don't have the Fed put to come and rescue us and right. the focus of central bankers around um, price stability, therefore causes a normal business cycle to happen as things overshot to, to the upside, they will move into a downturn. And I think people should remember that the, the, you know, the coming out of that is an upturn and that sure. will happen um, eventually. And so even though the news is quite negative today, um, that will not be the future. And we should feel optimistic that there will be a time um, when we end, we come out of this restrictive phase. And it might mean, you know, it's not necessarily going to mean rate cuts, but even a pause um, or stopping of increasing interest rates will be very good for 
um, traditional asset classes like stocks and bonds. Leslie, let's end it on an optimistic note because I haven't been able to do that over the past six months. So thanks for that. And uh, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Great to be here, Matt, and uh, good to be able to put uh, a silver lining out there for our listeners today. Thanks, Leslie. The content of this podcast, including facts, views, opinions, and recommendations, is not to be used or construed as investment advice and is not an offer or an invitation to buy or sell any security. The content of this podcast should not be relied upon for any purposes and McKenzie Financial Corporation is not responsible for any reliance upon it. This podcast includes forward-looking information that reflects our current expectations or forecasts of future events. Forward-looking information is subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed herein. Our views are subject to change based on market conditions. Commissions, trailing commissions, management fees, and expenses may be associated with mutual fund investments. Please read the fund facts and prospectus before investing. The indicated rates of returns are historical annual compounded total returns, including changes to unit values and reinvestment of all dividends or distributions and does not take into account sales, redemptions, distribution, or optional charges or income taxes payable by any security holder that would have reduced returns.